Irish and Rob McGregor welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thanks for joining us. This is Trish McGregor. And Rob McGregor. And our tech magician, John Posey. The Mystical Underground is a place where the weird and the wonderful flourish, where ideas that are contrary to materialistic science are explored, and the mundane, everyday world takes a backseat. You can go to our website, phenomena111.com, to find out about our nonfiction books, including the most recent one, Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. And you can visit blog.synchrosecrets.com where we make regular posts. Today on the Mystico Underground, we're going to go interdimensional and talk <clears throat> to Susan Yontorno, a retired veterinarian, and her husband Greg. Susan has had experiences that go well beyond our everyday physical reality. These experiences involve nearly daily encounters with interdimensional beings, encounters <clears throat> that can be uplifting and healing. And they can also be frightening, even terrifying. They involve very strange beings from our perspective as humans. These beings are somehow linked with our consciousness. They communicate telepathically and seem as if they are literally inside of us as well as outside of us. These beings appear and disappear, move effortlessly through walls, levitate, travel in ways that beyond our everyday concepts of how we get from one place to another. So I want to welcome Susan and her husband, Greg, uh, who has hey, shared- Hey, Bob. Hi, Trish. <laughs> hey, you Hello. guys. Good yeah. to see you. Susan, as I said, is a retired vet, and Greg works uh, as uh, in a building inspector, I believe. And uh, welcome, both of you. Thank okay, you. Should it's great to be here. <laughs> we should mention that we've known Susan and Greg for several years. Uh, we've met several, on several occasions midway across the state for lunch. We also spent a weekend in the Keys together. And we've written about Susan <laughs> uh, in, I think, more than one of our books. Yeah, uh, well, the last one was Beyond Strange, yeah. the chapter uh, in Beyond Strange on her experiences. So maybe the best place to start is uh, with your childhood experience, Susan, that seems like a case of short-distance teleportation. What happened there? Uh, yes, yeah, so that was around 1966. I was around eight years old. And uh, I, I grew up in a military Catholic family, so that's about as rigid as you can get, right? Um, three older sisters, a younger brother, and everybody fell into lockstep. And um, But I knew something was going on because I had all these strange experiences at night, these strange sensations of uh, having another body superimposed on my own. And then I was playing one day in the living room where I wasn't allowed to be, <laughs> typical <laughs> of me. And nobody was home. And uh, I was on the couch, and I was just pretending like an eight, seven or eight-year-old would do, that my the couch was my ship, you know, and it was sinking. And I had to get over to the island, which was a chair across the room. <laughs> and I was just going to pretend to swim over to the island. 
And as I made the first motion to to stroke like I'm swimming, it thrust me forward, and I actually levitated across the room and hit the chair with a thud. Um, And I was gripping the back of the chair. My face was resting on the uh, back of the chair, and I was just gripping it with my eyes wide and my heart racing going, I I think I just did something I wasn't supposed to do. (laughs) (laughs) It frightened me. And I really felt like I, I could never tell anybody about this. How um, old were yeah. you at the time? Around seven or eight. It was around okay. 1966. Oh. I was in Maryland at the time. Yeah. And uh, as I said, it, I just knew that um, something was going on that, that uh, nobody was talking about. There was some, much more to life. Um, what was had, there? Held... I'm sorry, go ahead. It, it just made me curious. I... I was open to it. It opened me up that experience. Um, was there was, any other kind? Was there any other kind of activity in the house when pe- other people were there? No, I mean it was a you know your typical dysfunctional military <laughs> household. <laughs> well, you know the the fathers during that time came out of two wars: the World War II and Korean War, and and it really. Um, uh, created a lot of upheaval in families. Uh, Ours wasn't the only. Greg had the same experience because he was raised in a Catholic military family. But uh, I just secretly knew that there was something much more to life than what I was seeing and experiencing on a day-to-day basis. But I was a very free spirit. I loved to be outside. Um, And I was just happy that I lived in the country where I could run all day and and interact with nature. And And you left home pretty early, didn't you, Susan? Yes, at 17 I left home um, in 1975, and I moved onto this farm where there was a laboratory operation, and it was a little cottage made out of a, a milk house that was converted into a cottage. And um, there was a laboratory on the farm. I worked in the lab, and then I worked with the racehorses on the farm on the weekends. And um, I really loved the farm, and I knew that I had a... Uh, a knack for science, and so I just embraced it, and I loved the hard work and and all the animals. So I was determined to set a course for myself, you know, in in science, in spite of my poor education. Jumping around at different schools when I was young uh, really was not a very good education at all. So did you get your high school uh, diploma at that point while you were working? Yes, I I did graduate high school on time. Okay. Which was a miracle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What were you doing in this lab? What kind of lab was this? Um, it was. It, we were producing um, um, sterile, defibrinated sheep blood for blood plates for for bacterial culture. Mm. And yeah. so we would, um, you know, we had a big flock of sheep, and they would get just blood, small amounts, and then we would process it and send it off to the labs to make the blood plates. Huh. So it was a nice operation. I was usually I was often there by myself. And there was about three other farm hands, and then the owners were on the land, too, in the big house. So I was very, um, just a very hardworking, determined woman, and uh, one day in 1978, I was sitting at my table. I'd broken my arm a couple weeks before that, got bucked off a horse, and I was sitting at the table one evening, and uh, my dog uh, flipped the uh, lock on the screen door to go outside, this was October 78. He, I had a German Shepherd at the time, and he, he would go out for a few minutes, come back in when he had to relieve himself. 
And so Dabondo flipped the door open and went out, and about 10 minutes passed, and he still hadn't returned. It was really unlike him. And uh, it was, I guess, about 9, 9.30 at night, and um, we lived in a valley at the base of uh, the the tail end of the Blue Ridge Mountains. The Appalachian Trail was just, you know, right up there about a mile and a half away. And so it was a big mountain that we were at the base of. And I went out and um, was calling towards the barns uh, for Dibondo, and he wasn't coming, and I was getting a little concerned, and then I just felt something, you know, a rush go through me. And I knew that something was going on. I turned to my left, and over the mountain ridge, about a mile and a half away, came an enormous triangular-shaped craft, enormous, slow, moving very slowly. And it had, um, it, it was rounded in the back, and it had white, silvery lights and <coughs> uh, silvery green lights at the bottom, and I think lights on the side. That was 40-some years ago. It's hard for me to recall exactly. <laughs> But it was so big. That's what stunned me. I, I've never seen anything like it before. And I couldn't move. I just stood there, and I was thinking to myself, don't see me, don't see me, don't see me. <laughs> I mean, I was not a science, science fiction buff or anything like that. Um, in fact, I would usually read a lot of nonfiction, history-based stuff. And um, I didn't have a TV or anything like that. I was a very grounded person back then. And, so uh, it was very low, right? It was very low, yes, and slow moving, but it seemed to just, even though it was moving so slowly, it seemed to disappear in just a matter of seconds. It turned south and went over the fields of a, the adjacent farm or the farm across from us and then disappeared. And when I finally was able to move, I looked and my dog was trotting down from the horse barns and his ears were pinned back. He looked distressed, so I put him in the I was shaking at this point. I put him in a uh, cottage, ran up to the big house where um, the wife was there, the owner. And uh, I, I was stammering and shaking, and she was like, come on, come on, we got to settle you down. She took me in the kitchen, gave me a glass of wine, and I started telling her. I had tears in my eyes, and I started telling her what happened. And she goes, well, we need to call somebody. Do you know anybody that we could call about this? And I grew up... Um, as a child, part of my childhood was on the uh, um, Fort Detrick in Frederick. Um, so I was very really familiar with the military base there. So I said, they had these big satellite dishes that they had installed. I said, well, maybe they're tracking something. Maybe they know something. So I called out to the satellite station on Fort Detrick. And the guy was really helpful. He goes, no, no, we just track satellites. We don't do anything like that. We're not familiar with anything in the area. He goes, but what you're describing is very similar to something that I, um, are you there? Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the man at the uh, satellite tracking station says, this, your story is very similar to, to a story I heard from a, um, a police sergeant in, in Frederick. And um, so he gave, me, she, he gave me the name, and I contacted the police department right away. By this time, it was after 10, and he was there. Mm-hmm. And he told me that uh, he and another man had experienced a very similar craft in the area. I had no idea this was going on. This was a very conservative uh, farm, you know, very rural farm, a lot of dairy farms, horse farms um, outside of D.C. And uh, he told me 
who to contact in D.C. And I know it's Washington, D.C. because it was a 202 area code. Mm -hmm. So I called these people, and they were very interested. I don't know who they were. And um, next thing I knew, it's like 7.30 the next morning. I think it was three men showed up. Pretty sure it was three. Might have been two, but I'm pretty sure because it's just there was a lot going on when they showed up. They were young guys, just in a dress shirt and a tie, no coats or anything. And they no had military. All this... No, no, no. Yeah. They were just some young guys in, in ties and like business casual. And uh, they had cameras and compasses and recorders and all that. And they told me that the area was a hotbed of activity. I had no idea. They were telling me the man across the way where the craft turned towards, that was a big horse farm there from a very wealthy man who, who owned an oil company in the area. It was kind of like uh, his, his hobby farm. And it turns out he had reported a similar sighting like the year before. I was just stunned by that because it, this man is not somebody who would, you would think would report something like that. And then the um, little uh, hamlet nearby, uh, Burkittsville, um, they had a phenomenon in recent past that they told me about where smoke alarms went off in the middle of the night and everybody's running outside trying to figure out what was going on and the air was vibrating. So they gave me a bunch of reports uh, of these events, a whole stack for, for me to read, and it was really overwhelming. And um, they just took all my information down and my description, and one guy took me aside at one point and says, hey, um, are you familiar with the Catoctin Mountains, which is on the other side, Frederick? And I said, sure, I go there all the time to hike. And um, he goes, would you be willing to go to um, um, Camp David, the Camp David area with me on Saturday? And I was like, I was naive. I was like, sure, okay. <laughs> and uh, then the next day I was talking to my mother, and I told her about it. And it, it, for some reason she just says, don't do it, don't do it, don't go with him. He's one of them. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was just insisting that I not go with this guy. So I called him back and said, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not getting involved in all this stuff. I, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And he you was dro upset you about dropped it. out of it at that point, yeah. Oh, but I didn't like it. I just wanted to get back to my, I had a lot to do. The farm kept me busy. I worked about 60 hours a week. But you also had some other unusual experiences on that farm, didn't you? Yes, that and that I thought they were like ghost children because I'd be working in the barns with the sheep or the horses, a pretty big uh, barn. And out of the corner of my eye, I would see these four foot tall beings standing there, kind of ghostly looking beings. Um, and when I would, I would turn around real fast and say, gotcha, <laughs> trying to uh, catch one, uh, you know, and uh spying on me and I thought they were some sort of they were ghost children I didn't have any other explanation for it did they make so, sounds or did they speak no no they would just be in various the doorways of the barn mm -hmm. just watching me from a distance they would be uh -huh. oh, I would say 20 feet away from me and, and I, uh, they isn't were that very where you... clear when I saw them but as soon as I swung around to to um catch them face to face they uh, would disappear and during this time, I also went to a party in Urbana, Maryland. There's a big mansion that was a couple hundred years old. A lot of friends were staying there, and they had a real nice party. And um, I went upstairs to use the restroom at one point, and no one was upstairs. 
and it was a very long uh, restroom with three doorways, one at each end and one in the front that faced the hallways, and the one on each end were attached to bedrooms. And uh, I was in the bathroom just for a moment, and coming from my left, through right through one door, a full-blown apparition of a Civil War soldier walked across the, the bathroom right in front of me, just feet away, and just like he ignored me, but he walked slowly and then exited to the right through the uh, other door to the other bedroom. And uh, I just had a, a, about a heart attack right then and there, <laughs> and I ran downstairs. And as soon as I said something about it, one of the fellows who was staying there was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we see him all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so that was, uh, that was like in the late 70s or early 80s so. Yeah, yeah, late 70s. Yeah, and I so you, also saw auras, but again, I wasn't. I just kind of took all this stuff as normal, and I pretty much ignored it. I saw auras of people, and and uh, but I, I at this point I was determined to get to college and uh, make a career for myself. So, pretty much just put that all in the back burner and said, okay, well that's cool. I don't know what it is, but you know that's interesting. Then I moved to North Carolina in 1981. And I was working in Chapel Hill at UNC, and um, there was an isolation tank company that opened called Cloud Nine. You could rent a tank for an hour for $25. And I saw the movie, um, oh, oh, I saw Altered that. States. Altered States, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, an isolation tank, I've got to do this. And I, I thought it would just be a really relaxing experience. So I lay in the tank. I mean, I was just really into it right away. And immediately I got this vision of five faces in front of me, and I thought they were weird cats because they're kind of triangular-shaped or diamond-shaped faces with rounded points and uh, just some dark eyes. And I thought, what are these cats? Why am I seeing cats? It turns out to be the ETs, and I say ET for lack of a better word. Um, so... Uh, I didn't realize it. I just thought they were some kind of cat, and then I just had some wild out-of-body experience following that, where I was just zooming through space, and I loved it, and I had a really good time in it. And um, and then uh, shortly thereafter, I was reading a book, and a friend came over, and I was just like a um, it was a suspense story, and um, and this friend said, "Oh, you like stories like that? I've got something that'll scare the heck out of you." <laughs> yes, it, was, it was a Stephen King book I was reading and, and next time he came over he handed me communion and I saw that face on the cover and I just about dropped to the floor I couldn't believe it now <laughs> the ones I saw were much more attractive than that one much, you know, their eyes were more in proportion with their face and uh, they, they were just more graceful looking than that were they thing. gray? Uh, well they're more of a tan that I see mm. Yeah, Whitley Strieber, you know, the author of that uh, communion, he had, he has said that uh, he the, the art artist who did the cover didn't exactly get it right. So uh, I think you know your rendition of what they look like might be a little closer. Grace. Yeah, I didn't think they were frightening to see at all. Like I said, they looked very graceful. And I had a strange experience during that time also, where I had this like. Um, uh, I guess it was an out-of-body experience when I was lying on the couch relaxing or something. And next thing I know, I'm with this being, and he had me at the edge of a big uh, uh, vertical cave, you know, a big hole in the ground that went straight down. 
and I looked down over the edge and then uh, threw myself backwards and crawled crab crab walk backwards frightened (laughs) and he said to me why are you so afraid your physical body is not threatened Mm -hmm. it was really a kind of they just slowly introduced me to um out of body experiences and to the to other beings and it was actually very (coughs) gentle the way it all happened and uh, you know it was enough for me to just accept it and and uh, little by little became my norm. And then I uh, went to college and then I got into vet school. I, I have a question here. Um, when you met Greg, Greg, what did you think of all this? <laughs> well, you know, um, she, uh, we were communicating on uh, AOL and uh-huh. um, doing IMs. And, and she had told me during one of those sessions that she had experiences with uh, extraterrestrials. Mm-hmm. And and uh, my my response to that was I know these guys, <laughs> and and the reason was because I had some experiences of my own beginning when I was thirteen or fourteen, not nearly as many as Susan, but uh, just knowing that uh, with, with her sharing that with me did not scare me. It, it mm-hmm. actually made me uh, excited to know that we both experienced some of the same sort of contact and then a feeling of comfort and at ease to be able to talk uh, with someone and share experiences. Hmm. But it hadn't really been uh, a major part of your life or anything up to that point, had it? No, no. Like I said, I had an experience when I was 13 or 14. Yeah. But um, after we met, uh, I have had a lot more experiences (laughs) than, than I did before. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, for some reason they call me a tuning rod, <laughs> and, and uh, to to open people. Um, and so when I'm involved with anybody, um, especially at an intimate level, they get dragged kicking and screaming sometimes into <laughs> into this world. <laughs> and that's what happened with my uh, previous husband. Um, well, I I'll call him Jay because I don't have his permission to use his name. Um, I hope it doesn't accidentally slip. <laughs> so I met him in uh, 1990, uh, 1988, accidentally, at vet school. He was two years ahead of me. But he was eight years younger than me because he was like a Doogie Howard. <laughs> but uh, like what? but uh, two, two years ahead of me in vet school. And we bumped into each other, became friends, and um, I needed a place to rent. And it just so happened that his roommate moved out that day before. And... Uh, so I, I ended up moving into his um, little duplex that he was living in. I'm sorry about the dogs. No, that's all right. We're dealing with our own dog. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was hoping that wouldn't happen. But, you know, they get in the Amazon delivery and they're barking. So anyway, so I, so Rob and I were, I mean, Jay and I <laughs> moved in. I moved into to his duplex and, um, I, you know, he finished vet school and it, it Eventually, we had established a relationship that we didn't intend. I moved in on Valentine's Day, which was an interesting synchronicity. But um, then we ended up becoming um, involved with each other, and we married in 1990, and I graduated in 91. He had graduated in 89. And um, so we were both getting ready to start, you know, very fruitful careers together. And... uh, then uh, in 91, 
you know, all through vet school and everything, I was so involved with my work that I didn't notice any abnormal uh, activity at all. It's like they left me alone so I could finish my um, Mm. mission of of becoming a veterinarian. And um, then my grandmother died in 1991, who I was very close to. And uh, I did not know that she had died. I was driving to um, meet Robert. He was living in a, another um, town while I finished vet school. And um, a big white orb followed my truck the whole time. And I um, was astonished by it. And I noted the time that it happened. And when I got to Robert's place, um, shortly thereafter, I got a call from my brother that my grandmother had died at that time that I saw this giant orb, oh. big there was a big orb, about two and a half, three feet across, very bright, oh, wow. right that on my cool. tail. And so I knew that something, you know, was starting, things were starting to gear up again. Mm-hmm. Then after that, I went to Maryland and started practice um, in 1991 and woke up one morning with these seven huge marks on my neck. It looked like I had hickeys galore <laughs> all on the side of my neck. It was horrible. I mean, I went in to... Um, to to uh, the clinic, and some of my clients were like, you know, Doctor Wishner, why? What are, what are those hickeys on your neck? I was like, they, <laughs> they just appeared, and I, I knew immediately when I saw them that they had something to do with the extraterrestrials. And I, that's when I told um, Jay about the ET experiences, and he was like, What? <laughs> it didn't make any sense to him, but I said this has something to do with all that. Well, it really was an indicator that I had to talk. I had to talk about something, and they were not going to go away until I did. And what it was is that the man that I worked for at the clinic um, was beating animals, almost in some cases even to death. Oh. And uh, I couldn't talk about it because he was a very well-respected veterinarian and practiced for 30 years. Some people in the clinic have worked for him for 26 years. If I reported it, he would have lost his license, and then all these people would have lost their jobs. So it really put me on the spot because I was new so there, but I knew I had to do something. What's so that? All the other employees knew that he was beating animals? Oh, yeah, yeah. They, but they, were, they, they, wanted, they didn't want to lose their jobs, and they liked him. So everybody, and then I called a meeting one day. I said, look, we're all just as guilty as he is if we don't speak up about this. So I finally found a a very, I went to a lawyer and talked about it, and I found a diplomatic way to handle it. And um, I turned him into a a committee that handles uh, drug abuse and alcoholism in veterinarians, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of, and, uh, and got him into psychiatric care over it. So that was that was a good thing. I, that way, it wasn't destructive, and right. it, you know, helped him in some way. And this was years. This went on for years. And as soon as I did that, as soon as I came forward and spoke out about this, they disappeared. All those marks on my mm-hmm. neck disappeared. Oh. Wow. Yeah, it was a very effective way to make me speak. Yeah, I'll make your point. <laughs> I had those things for years. I went to dermatologists. There was no explanation at all for them. And uh, so that was a, you know, that's when things really started to to uh, take on a life of its own in my life. Yeah, so you and you and Jay at that time, uh, you were start, starting to both to, both to have experiences, right, uh, with the beings. Yes, it started. I was I would be sitting on the couch, and I would have this white dove that appeared at my forehead, and it was like I was seeing a movie. I mean, it was a real dove. And it would just be gracefully flapping its wings, right? Like like two inches from my forehead, 
where my third eye is. And, uh, and I was just astonished. It was so beautiful, and it kept appearing over and over and over again. And then I met my guides. I met guides shortly after that. And again, I wasn't looking. I didn't know anything about metaphysical stuff. But um, they started showing themselves and one by one introduced themselves to me. I had three guides at that time. And your guides change throughout your life. They, I no longer see them. But they helped me through a lot of issues. And, uh, and then was my... It, was this uh, bird visible? Or was it... Well, no, I had my eyes closed. Oh, okay. It was a vision, but uh-huh. it was right. detailed, very right. detailed, very beautiful. And then I had other dove synchronicities going on, like this gold dove pin appeared uh, that I still have with a little diamond in it. And just just wild stuff. And then mm-hmm. um, Jay started having experiences, too. He'd close his eyes, and and um, this one being kept coming at him with this, he called it... Um, Oh, I forgot what he—I forgot what he called it. He said it looked like a—it was a blue, the blue meanie. The, he called mm-hmm. it the blue meanie because it had blue skin and it had this weird jester type hat on, and it would always be at him, you know, staring at him or charging at him. And he was very upset about it. And I said, confront him. <laughs> and as soon as he did, the being turned into an angelic being with a face of his favorite teacher from high school, mm-hmm. and um, gave his name and told him that he, you know was here to help him heal and, um, and to teach him uh, how to breathe and how to meditate. And so they took him, and he had his own program. I mean, they took him through. Uh, he had a series of guides that took him out of body into places where, and taught him uh, meditation techniques and told him what to do and what not to do as far as eating meat and, and you know, give up martial arts that he was practicing instead of oh. that do uh, mute. To take up a musical instrument because martial arts were too violent and he was supposed to get away from that. So he had past, he um, had experiences where he was taken to past lives. Hmm. So he had his program and then one day this angelic beings brought a strange creature to him, introduced this creature to him and said, you know, this being is going to be working with your wife, Susan, and he, he, she is very well protected. She's safe, but you're not to interfere in any way. Is that the one named John you're talking about now? Yes. And the angelic being said, you, his name is unpronounceable, but you can call him John. <laughs> but he didn't tell me about this because we had these opposing work schedules. So sometimes we'd go days without seeing each other except for, you know, in bed when we were asleep. And uh, so he, he had that experience. And that night he wasn't home. He had the experience in the morning, and then I came home, uh, home, went to bed, and this thing appeared at the end. It was so tall that it had to hunch over in the room. He was at least seven feet tall, very mm. strange-looking thing. It was long and lanky and and slim, but it had this almost like insect-type head. And you um, could see it physically? Uh, physically. He, was phys- he would cast a shadow, but he would go in and out of density. And the first time I saw him, I shot up in bed, and I said, this changes everything, and I just burst <laughs> into tears. You know, all, my whole life I devoted to science, and it just, it was so shocking that I, to just have your, what you thought was solid ground ripped out from under you. Yeah. But I, there was something about it, though, that I felt that I could trust. I was okay mm-hmm. with it. And if I kept my eyes closed, I wouldn't freak out so much. 
Yeah, when we wrote about uh, you in uh, Beyond Strange, we had a chapter on uh, called Aliens Dark, which was one not about you, but about other people who have had abduction experiences and very terrified by this experience, these experiences. And then uh, Aliens Light was your experiences because you were seemingly inviting open to uh, communication and... Uh, not as uh, frightened as other people. Could you explain this? So wait, I have a question. Greg, did you ever see John? <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah, that was earlier. Okay, so I've only seen I'm... John once since I moved to Florida. I moved to oh, Florida okay. in '97, yeah. and I've only seen him once. And he just did a scan on me and left, and that was it. He didn't do any work. It was a weird thing that scanned me. What do you mean a scan? Explain what you mean. He appeared in my bedroom. Um, I guess I guess that was about ten years ago. He was just standing against the closet, and he was this weird. He always was bouncing and moving around. He could never stay still. It was this weird movement that he always was doing, and he it's very hard to describe him. He had this strange apparatus on his shoulders, and he was just a very bizarre thing. And um, and he released this thing that was about the size of a bird's body, like like a pigeon's body, about the size and shape. If you just isolate the body itself. And where the wings of the bird would be, they were like little, they were stubby, it, it, almost like mm. stubby airplane wings that came out from it. And I, I, I lay back, and this thing just scanned above me about a foot and a half all the way up, and I could feel uh -huh. this. I could feel something coming from it, and then all the way down again. And then it went back to him, and he left. Mm. And that's it? And that's, never... that was the last time I saw him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was the only time I saw him since I moved moved to Florida in 97, but he came to me. And before John Watcher appeared, this white, tall white being that would stand at the edge of the yard and just stand there and watch, look in. And I'd see him out there. I was like, okay, just stay there. That's all I ask you. <laughs> and then John came in. And, uh, and then five other beings, the, the small tan ones with the cat-like shaped heads, um, then they came along and one told my ex-husband was able to communicate. John never talked at all. He used hand motions, mm. um, sign language, basically. But uh, these the smaller uh, beings, which are related to the greys, they're an offspring of the greys. They call themselves mylar, but, you know, I don't get into all that. They call themselves um, what? Mylar. Oh, mylar. Yeah, but they said they were offspring of the greys. But like I said, I don't get, I think that's all a distraction. I don't get all caught up in that in that stuff. It's not very mm -hmm. useful information for me. Um, it's just kind of gee whiz information. So anyway, um, the, the, when these smaller ones came in, because there were so many of them, it freaked me out at first. And then I got used to them. They were working with me when John was there. He came every night for about 150 straight days, 200 straight days, mm. every night. And uh, the, that's when the energetic work started. And then during that work, he popped me out of body for the first time, and I have so been traveling ever since. So explain what this energetic work is, because this is what you do frequently, right? Yes. Well, he um, he had he would use a series of instruments. That's why I call him an extraterrestrial, because they use there's technology involved, mm -hmm. and they would be um, constantly rubbing areas of my uh, my patellar ligament on my knee 
and uh, my shins and work around my feet all the time, pulling, and I get these wave motions up and down and side to side and alternating legs. It's this wave motion that's it's just like suddenly I become energetically buoyant. And like from the knees on down, I wasn't attached to my body, and it's always waving and moving like you're um, like I was suspended in water. And sometimes mm-hmm. that wave motion would come up around my head, or sometimes in my torso, it felt like the bed was being lifted up in the middle and then down again. And it would be wherever he'd be rubbing, vibration would start, and it would travel up my body, and it, it mm-hmm. would come in waves, and the, my body would vibrate in more and more in, in, in uh, intensity. I liked it. And yeah, so this, this is time, really about this is really about uh, helping you move from physical to non-physical existence and back again uh, out of or out of body experiences. Is that? Uh, I think. I think that's why you focused from the knees on down. I think we're attached to this physical world through our feet, and that's why often uh-huh. apparitions don't have feet. Hmm. And so there's something that he. Um, well, he, they said they changed the polarity. It's almost like it's a, a quick release now that I have mm. from my body that he altered. And my attachment was in the feet. And it, it was one day during the work um, that I suddenly just popped right out. And he kept, he held me by my feet. I was, like, very excited. I'm hovering above my body. I'm going, this is awesome. Let's go someplace. Come on, let me go. I got to go. And he's, he, I'm pulling on it. And he, he was getting upset. And he gave me a vision of a dog, an obnoxious dog pulling on a leash. You know, and, you know, I wasn't offended by that. I got the message right away because that means that I don't know what I'm doing and I better stop it and behave or else I'll get hurt, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got to, I wasn't ready yet. And so he returned me to my body and, and kept up with the work. And sometimes it felt like I had this, I could feel very, uh, I could feel the demarcations of the uh, objects that would be set on me, like cylinders set on my thoracic inlet near my thyroid that would vibrate through my chest. Hmm. Um, things touched my temples, my third eye, and the crown of my head. There was times that I was just, the visions were intense, and the room was just uh, alive with electrical act, intense electrical activity. There were electrical discharges going off, bright lights flashing, loud zaps mm. and pops. And these beings at the same time would be working the other parts of my body. So it, I really liked the work. I thought it was powerful. And I would vibrate for days, and other people could feel the vibration coming off of me. Now, when you were working as a vet, did they ever interfere? I mean, other than the fact about the vet you were working with who was abusing animals, did they ever interfere in any other way? Interfere? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, did, did they, hey, did they show up in the waiting room? You know, something like well, that. <laughs> well, no, for, at that point I was working at a university in D.C. I'd left clinical medicine. I, I always liked uh, research. I was always... Mm-hmm. I'd co-authored papers in um, brain research journals and such. I liked human medicine research. But lab animal medicine is an important part of that, and that Uh was really where I wanted to focus my career because I love academia. I love being on campus. And so I went to work at this university. Now, the people at this particular lab, um, it, it was some of the best and the brightest. Some of them, they're from all over the world. And just wonderful, wonderful uh curious, intelligent, 
of people. I just loved working around them. And as I started talking about this with some of the folks, things started happening to them. Like another <laughs> oh. woman in the lab, she had uh, what was like she described as one of the beans, and I never talked about the ETs with her, just about the guides and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, come to her bedside and was blowing cold air on her, and <laughs> like it made it, it was like this propeller sound. And she said, I just would chew them away like like annoying children. <laughs> and she just took it like I did, you know, like, hey, yeah, these guys came and did this and made me feel like this when I, when they touched me. And and then uh, so there was it was quite an upheaval, but in a good way. It really opened up a lot of people, even some of the most uh, uh, pragmatic, uh, rigid uh-huh thinkers that were there had had experiences that wow. that just opened them up. And so I got a very close relationship with a lot of the people there because of their experiences that oh. were all closely tied to my own. It's, a, again, that tuning rod thing. Well, let me, let me, John, tell her what happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a small thing, but maybe it's related. Oh, uh, the towel? Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's been working on the sound for the, um, the audio, clips, audio the audio clips, clips. We have coming. So oh, go ahead. Yeah. So all I know is once <laughs> I started working with the clips, getting them ready for the show today. Uh, over the last couple of days, I'll walk into the bathroom and the towel is off the rack for some reason. <laughs> Never been a problem before. <laughs> the no, last two days, I've walked in that. multiple times and the towel is in the floor. I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, we haven't talked about the audio clips. And yeah. These are very strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we'll probably have to jump over a whole lot. I mean, there's, I have so much material from the past 23, 24 years that it's really hard to cover even just a tiny fraction of it. It's overwhelming. I just write everything down. I just yeah, yeah. Go, go on to the next thing. You know, I write it all down, make sure it's documented, and don't make a conclusion about it. I just, my observations... And yeah, then so can uh, you, move on to the next thing. Yeah, so can you talk about some of the out-of-body experiences you've had, the most uh, interesting ones or curious ones? Maybe sure we they're... should go right to the clips. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, the... now the out-of-bodies have been, uh, you know, the, I just love it. I love the out-of-bodies. One of, I don't see the five beans anymore. There's one who is not quite like them, a little smaller. I call him my escort, and he pulls <laughs> me off the bed. You know, he just comes and uh, sometimes he'll take me off sideways and cradle me. Other times he just drags me off by the feet and then takes me to a destination and drops me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, my goodness, I just love the – I meet so many beings and people and scenarios. Um, and uh, um, one I particularly liked was a bio, actual bilocation back in 2012. We woke up in the morning early like we usually do, you know, 4.35 o'clock, because we like to just spend time in bed reading the paper and stuff. And um, Greg was reading the paper, and I'd gotten up, got a yogurt, went back to bed, and I was just laying there, and a being in a shimmering form, not fully materialized, appeared beside me and placed something sharp against my temple that pulsed. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. I didn't say anything to Greg. And next thing I know, I knew I was in bed. I could hear Greg uh, shuffling the newspaper and the TV was on. And at the same time, I was in another body. I was a a black woman in a family with a husband who was out of work, and I was trying to fix my son's hair. He had bleached it out in the front, and it got really burned (laughs) from the process. 
and he was all upset about it, and I'm trying to fix it for him. I'm putting some water on it and such. He was very tall and slim, wonderful family. And, um, and yeah, he was like 16 or something like that, the boy. And I, and it's funny, I was thinking, oh, you know, since I have a friend that is a <coughs> computer programmer, maybe I can call her. Then I realized, no, that's my other body. <laughs> that's not this body. And then suddenly I was, they take me in vehicles. I, I was in this vehicle that really had a lot of uh, G-force to it. The thrust was incredible. And how do I feel G-force out of body? I don't know. It's an actual body that I have when I'm out of body. Uh-huh. It's gotten more and more physical as time goes on. And then I was an uh, old lady in an in a apartment with another old lady who was really mutilated on one side and blind on one side, like she had been in a terrible accident. And, again, she was like my sister. I was very familiar with her. I was visiting. Hmm. And during those times, I asked people, you know, what's the date? And then they'd just look at me. And, <laughs> um, and then from there, I told her I had to go. And then we went to another scenario where I was with a family in a very strange um, landscape of like you know old broken down cars and and um dirt a lot of just dirt no grass and no trees or anything and there were buses there they were the buses were their only mode of transportation sounds dystopian yeah it really was but the family i was with there was a, a i knew everybody in the family one woman was my niece and my uh, mm. my sisters and it, it was so weird because we i felt the love for them the familiar familiarity um and so, uh, were you actually in a physical body do you think in a physical body and a different person i was a, a black woman i was an old lady and then, oh. then i was in another body where i was just a, a middle-aged woman with this family that i loved and uh, that's that was by location at the same time i was well aware of being back in bed listening to greg reading the paper and the TV on and all that at the same <laughs> time. Yeah. That's a bilocation, and that's right. the only one as powerful as that one that I've had. Yeah. And uh, I've been, oh, I've been taken to so many places. It's Again, we would need a whole program just to go into that. Yeah. Oh, I but a lot of them have to do with either training my body, meeting beings, or, um, or healing uh, other souls. Oh. And I I love that work. The uh, one being that I met named Alum, he was a sphere in 2018, October 2018. He told me that the, the purpose of these out-of-body travels that I was doing is mm-hmm. to experience and to help others. Mm. That's the purpose. Yeah. yeah, this has been all very... Uh you know, elevating and enlightening, but now we got to get to the dark side that comes up. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, uh, I had yes, mentioned and I, I haven't been, gonna, been able to go out of body since then. Back yeah. in, uh, oh, wow. and, then, and then Greg has some things to talk about too. We have to talk about his healing on his ribs. That was phenomenal. But, um, so do you want to talk about Greg's ribs or shall I go yeah, on? Yeah, 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 talk like, about yeah. This? Then, yeah. What was hey, Greg, it? You want to talk about your stuff? Oh, sure. So uh, there were several different experiences, but uh, and one of them was what I call the rib healing. That was in uh, March of 1997. I had uh, suffered three fractured ribs from a bicycle accident, I, uh, and, I, and I ended up going to the ER, and, and all they could do is give me some medicine, and, and I've got to heal. And um, 
I had never had broken ribs before, but uh, uh, the experience was extremely painful just to breathe or just to move. Uh-huh. Um, it was even worse when I had to cough or, or sneezed or, or when I started to laugh. Um, so Did Susan they tape you up? Visit. What's that? Did they tape your ribs? I, you know, I don't remember them taping the, the ribs. Uh-huh. They all I all they did was give me some pain meds and and sent me home and told mm-hmm. me to rest. And um, Susan came for a visit because she was still in Maryland and and I was here in Sarasota. And she came uh, for a visit probably five or six days after the accident. So the the first night of her visit, I was experiencing quite a bit of of pain, and um, and I was sharing that with her. And then I started feeling these zappings on my ribs following each broken rib mm-hmm. and Susan asked me what was going on and I and I told her I, I don't know I, I feel the zapping going on on my ribs <laughs> and she said she could see a being behind me and just to be still and, and let it take place so I did that and then um, shortly thereafter we went to bed and fell asleep then the next day uh, we, we were living on Siesta and just a, a block from the beach, so we'd go out for a walk on the beach every day. So we were walking on the beach and enjoying our time together and naturally uh, laughing. And I, um, when I started to laugh, I unconsciously placed my hand over, over my ribs to protect them from the pain, which is what I would do any time I uh-huh. coughed or laughed or sneezed. And I realized when I did that that the pain – was gone completely. Wow. Never returned. Huh. Yeah, that's, that's, that's and we had forgotten about the incident the night before until that moment. We woke up like a normal morning and walked about a mile, mile and a half, and we were laughing and talking, and, and we just stood there and stared at each other because we completely forgot about the visit the night before. Huh. And he <laughs> never had his ribs were healed. He never had... I don't know if they actually healed the broken bones or just take away the pain. They tend to be... Uh, focus on removing pain. Uh-huh. We can't really correct underlying complex disease. And I, but, I'd like to share another one. If, if when we're done with that one, because it's one of the more uh, exciting ones that I like to to share. Um, if you're ready for that one, I'll go in. Yeah, that. go ahead. So um, this occurred uh, September 25th of 1998, and uh, we had gone to bed, and I started having a vision. Uh, of dolphins, and I started telling Susan I was counting them out one, two, three, four, five dolphins, and then oh, a, a large white one. And I don't know if that meant six or if the fifth one was a large uh, <laughs> white one. And then uh, shortly after I shared that vision, uh, we had a power outage, and all the lights went out, and and it was dark in a bedroom except for you know the the ambient light from the from the moon coming into the room, and I had my head turned away from Susan. And then I turned toward her, and when I did, I saw her hands reaching up into the uh, up into the air, playing with this uh, white plasma-like light with her with her hands. It was like stuck mm-hmm. to her hands, but it would stretch out and move from hand to hand and finger to finger. Mm-hmm. And she hadn't said a word, and neither did I. But I reached up instinctively, and I and I put my hand around one of her arms. And she said, do you see this? And I said, yeah, I see it. <laughs> and then we, we started playing with it together with between my hand and her hand. It would, it would move from each of our hands. It would stretch out between our hands and our fingers. Hmm. And um, 
uh, that that what is just a like? really powerful um, experience. Mm. And and then while that was going on, um, we had a, a bright green light that lit up the kitchen. We had a small uh, uh, one bedroom apartment with a bathroom and a, and a kitchen and a living room. So the bedroom was right off the kitchen, and there was this bright green light that just lit up the the kitchen and and flowed into the into the bedroom that 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 experience was just amazing no we played with that light for a long time we could touch each other even with our hands like 10 12 inches away from the skin you could still feel it it was a living liquid white light all around us and it stayed with us for days when we were playing with that um, I was asking my guides or whoever was listening, I'm going, what is going on here? What is this beautiful thing? And a woman's voice just plainly said, you are living the future. Oh, wow. Did it, did it have texture? Was it cold or warm? Or? No, no, no. It was just like alive. It pulsated and swirled and it was sticky. If it brought our hands together, his light would join my light like... Yeah. Stick stuck together, then we'd pull them apart. It'd be like pulling taffy because it would stretch and then break free. We had so mm. much fun playing with that. And, they, and then for several nights, it would be a little weaker and a little weaker until it finally went away. Does that but ever happened. That happen was again? a very powerful experience that night. Oh. It just was astonishing. That, that one happen? of many astonishing experiences. Mm-hmm. I, I've just, you know, I've had hundreds of out of body experiences, so it's hard to. Uh, uh, really pick and choose, but I had one recently, and that's where we get into the dark vein. Yeah. Okay. So you want to move on to the dark one? Yeah. Let's go there. I've been. Uh, I I ha- had had all my out of body experiences were either outward or upward, and I just go to other worlds, other realms, whatever you want to call them, and other scenarios. But this is the first time that the floor just dropped out from under me, and I went straight down into the mm-hmm. underworld, and I was falling with my back you know, still in the position, I was laying on my back in bed, and I was just falling straight down in that position, but I could feel that I'm falling. My hair was blowing and everything. And I, along the way, I had stopped at several different scenarios that had to do with animals, because animals are earth energies. And, um, and then I continued down another shaft and ended up standing in this house. And I, it was a beautiful beautiful house, very contemporary furniture, flat screen TV was there. I don't know about their cable connection, <laughs> but I was walking, I was going, this is a beautiful house. It was big. I'm walking through it going, hello, hello. And the thing, by this time, my body, I call it a quantum body because I moved through the quantum space with it. My body um, was very physical and I had learned to actually as silly as it sounds, to actually fly. If I could, it's just, you know, you make your intents clear and you go bing mm-hmm. and you take off. And I love to fly like, like that. And so I'm walking from room to room and I finally went to the kitchen. I said, well, nobody's here. I think I'll just sit here and uh, wait for somebody. And I had, was facing the counter because it was really pretty granite counters. And suddenly I hear this deep growl behind me, terrible deep growl, mm-hmm. just vicious snarl like a lion would snarl. And I swung around, and this creature was standing there. He had a face that was kind of the cross between a vicious dog and an angry chimpanzee. Yellow eyes, very angry face, snarling, growling, this big body dressed in black leather from top to bottom. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I mean, he started to take a step towards me, and he had these two minions with him that were smaller, about four feet tall. And I, this guy was dangerous. I don't know where, where he came from or why he was there, but I wasn't going to stick around. So I was going to shoot up through the ceiling to get to the second floor of this big house to get away from him. On my way up, I, I shot up past him, but then I, for a moment, turned around, gave him a swift kick in the back of the head with my heel, uh, just an act of defiance. Like, I'm not afraid of you, jerk. And then I went on, and I thought I was going to end up in the second story. Instead, I ended up in his um, lair. It was a dark, black cavern. Uh, and I'm standing there going, oh, my God, this is the last place I want to be. Somehow, that house was connected to his lair. And I'm wondering how in the world I got there, and there's this thing coming after me. And I suddenly see this little girl. She was balled up tight in this little dugout alcove off to my right, trying to just be invisible. And she was clearly terrified. She was only about four or five years old. And I was like, come, I'm motioning to her. I didn't want to make any noise. I'm like, come on, come on, I'll get you out of here. Come on, come on, we got to go. This guy is dangerous. And, and she wouldn't come. And I was getting desperate uh, to get her to come to me. And suddenly she shot straight out forward in front of me, went up about uh, 20 feet and faced me, turned around, faced me, pointed to her right. I was like, oh, my God, well, i got to see what she's pointing at. So I ran up to her, and she was pointing at a big, heavy door, and, uh, and she, she couldn't open it because she was too small. So I opened this big, heavy, thick door, ran back, scooped her up, and I ran out. I saw some woods out there, and I ran out with her in my arms thinking we're going to go into the woods. I took three steps outside, and my third step I stepped into bright white light, just as bright as bright could be. So bright, but it didn't hurt my eyes. But it, was so, it should have. Um, and suddenly she was gone from my arms, and I came back to my body. And that was hmm. called soul rescue. That, that child was somehow probably, you know, a kidnap scenario. I've done soul rescues with traumatized deaths where I go into the graves and I take the souls out that are too afraid to move. Hmm. Well, and, so you think that... You- she was actually, well, she was dead, in other words. Yeah. She was a soul, yeah. And yeah. I think this thing was keeping that. He owned her soul. She Ooh. was too terrified. And he owned her. <coughs> she was a, a trophy for him. Mm. And um, I think he had something to do with her death. She was terrified. And, and then, you know, the, the divine light took her, thank God. So, so I came back to my body, realized that it was just a, it was soul rescue, and I thought it was wonderful. And then a couple of days later, I'm lying in bed doing some out of body stuff, and I, the same growl was in the room, and I was like, "Holy crap, he found me!" And I haven't been able to get rid of him since. He's mad that I took something that was his, and he wants to be compensated. And I call how him. Long ago, how, how long has this been going on? Oh my goodness, he came around. When was that? Um, uh, 2019 June, yeah, the mm. end of June 2019 okay. so is when he appeared, and I haven't oh, been yeah. able to get rid of him since then. And, he, and you he, haven't he, been able to to uh, do your healing or out of body uh, stuff. The positive things that you were doing before was uh, no longer. He blocks it. He intercepts because he wants to. He tried once to get into my body, and it was so. Uh, it was so traumatic to my body, I ended up in the ER. I, it, the cold was beyond any cold I have ever known. No, I had, when it happened, 
I couldn't get, I had like two big heating pads on me and blankets wrapped around me. I'm shaking so hard I couldn't even drink the tea that Greg made for me to warm up. And I was, I felt like I was dying. I ended up taking her to the emergency room. And it wasn't a panic attack at all. I mean, for hours I tried to, you know, push him out. I kept saying, you know, get out, get out, get out. And I pushed him back a little bit. And as soon as I just backed off a little bit, he would, boom, come right back in again. And I, the cold was awful. I truly felt like I was dying. I said, I, I wanted him to take me to the emergency room because I wanted to make sure it wasn't something else, that I wasn't, you know, bleeding out from aneurysm or having a stroke. I just what wanted they to rule out those things. ER? What's that? How did they treat you in ER? What did they do? Well, I just told them I woke up freezing cold and I haven't mm-hmm. been able to get warm. And I, was st- I had on sweaters and uh-huh. coats. And, I mean, this was in June. Yeah. And uh, and I couldn't get warm even there for hours. I was shivering. So they they put warm um, IV of warm fluid in me. My heart rate was sky high. Again, I wasn't. I was very being very calm and talking to them. Um, mm-hmm. And I just I woke up this way. I didn't give them any details. I said I just want to make yeah. sure that I'm not having an aneurysm bleed out or I have a stroke or something. Please just rule out a physical cause for this. And I left it at that. And so they just treated me, um, you know, gave me supportive care, some sedatives and some warm IV fluids. And eventually my heart rate went down because I had, he causes really bad arrhythmias when he gets too uh-huh. close to me. Yeah, I, my muscles all start twitching violently, bizarre twi- spastic twitches all over, including my heart muscle, and, and he's ice cold. So he almost killed me that night, and I've never let him get that close since. But if I let my guard down, he tries. Yeah, I have to sit up all night and keep him at bay. Can I ask a question real quick about that, about, about the presence in your body? Uh, I mean, did you ever feel like you were floating when you had that presence? It felt like you were, I mean, was it, did you feel like it was... I guess a possession, I mean, was, was... Yeah, and he actually said, you know, I started recording because he would speak, and I'd hear him in the room. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, I'm going to start recording this thing. And he's got that big, growly, deep voice. And, um, and he said one time, possess, possess. He kept saying oh, it I over think. and over again. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, you, in your dreams, buddy. <laughs> I, I do... <laughs> So, you know, he's met his match. There's no doubt about it. I, haven't, I made the mistake of letting him get close that night. Now, great. And, if but you I was were... still working with the other beings. There were other beings that were tied to him that were weird, weird beings that came in. One that was a, made wheezing sounds. I call him Aqualung because he sounded like the Jethro Tull song. And, and uh, others that were insect-like, and they got like ant faces, and they made clicks and croaks and chirps. And I thought they were just, you know, I've had so many different bizarre beings come along that I just kind of think nothing's weird to me anymore. Uh, but then when I was continuing to work with these bizarre beings, thinking that Bozo was a separate incident entity not tied in, a woman spoke to me. And she says, during one of the works, the days I was working, laying there working with these other beings, a woman said to me, I don't think this is very ethical. And since then, that was like in October of last year. And since then, I, I just bolted up right in bed. I said, that's all I need to know. Thank you. You know, I just assumed that I was protected. That I didn't realize I was being reckless. Um, hmm. You know, I don't know. Where, where do you draw the line when you're working with weird? Everything's weird when it's that way. But, 
but uh, I'm I'm grateful. I've been so grateful for her um, uh, what, advice. What what, did she, what was she saying? That's not ethical. Working with the willing, being a willing participant with these ant-like things that make the chirps and the clicks. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, and allowing them to continue to because they would make clicks and I would go out of body, and I they it was like a shortcut. I would like instantly go out of body with these clicks that they did, huh. and um, they're the ones who sent me to the underworld. But I don't think they expected me to find this little girl. I think it was a setup. They were setting me up to go into the underworld you know, possibly to be trapped by this thing yeah. they're working with him. And I don't think they expected me to find this little girl. And, uh, and uh, it, it, things uh, didn't go the way they had planned. But, um, but I didn't realize that they were negative beings, too, until I realized that they were associated with the guy I call Bozo. I call him that because I want him to know that I do not respect anything about him. And his two minions he has I call Beavis and Butthead. And I have them all recorded. You have some recordings from that. Oh, and do, other yeah. beings have come in asking for help. And I, I'm going to do some out-of-body work, but I just don't want to let my guard down because as soon as I'm open, my energy is open to go out of body. You know, he could easily pop in again, and I never want to experience that. Yeah. Like I experience that night. You seem to have an open window, uh, interdimensional window in your bedroom, uh, which <laughs> where you do do the work. Does it? Uh, and you've had uh, some. Other kind of healers coming in, a shaman, uh, and what was he able to find out when? Oh, yeah. Well, since then, I've gone through, you know, psychics and shaman. We did a fire ceremony, and she said I had three portals open. I needed to close two of them, keep the last <laughs> one for myself. The one in the hallway is where I, my escort takes me through in the hallway. Boom. You know, we leave the bedroom, and then we're, we're off someplace else. And that's mine. Oh. She said I had two other portals in the bedroom. But this guy has his own portal. He doesn't come through the other two, which I've closed. And uh, I, I uh, did a very elaborate house clearance ceremony on Easter Sunday, very elaborate, using a uh, large um, stainless steel um, butcher knife as the, um, the demon slayer sword of uh, blue mm. flame. And uh, this, uh, uh, a Buddhist man in Tibet uh, constructed this very elaborate ceremony for me. It was very powerful. But, and he was gone, and it got rid of a lot of the other ones that were there, too, because my room is like a circus. Everybody's talking at night. They wake me up. <laughs> yeah, there's flute music playing. One guy's, I woke up, with him and somebody was sitting beside me singing out loud in the room a beautiful now, song Greg, to me. you hear that? Well, I, I don't hear Bozo, but I've heard the, the chirps and the clicks in the bedroom. Uh -huh. mm. I've heard voices. Um, either in the bedroom or in the hallway, um, almost voices like coming from a party, but you know, mm -hmm. it's not from outside, it's inside the house. And mm -hmm. the same thing with those uh, chirps and clicks. They're not the usual sounds that you hear your, your house might make, right. um, but yep. I, I can hear them uh, in, in our room right next to where I'm laying in bed. And, and I also get smells that come and go quickly, like... Um, a smell of a flower or perfume, mm -hmm. uh, pipe tobacco, right. yeah, or, or a metallic or, or a sulfur smell. Mm -hmm. And and I don't always, when, when I, that occurs, it's not like I blurt out to Susan, hey, I, I just smelled something. But yeah. over a period of time, I happen to mention to her, you know, I, I, I smell these things in the room. 
And then she said, yeah, yeah, I smell them too. So it wasn't mm. like we had that conversation. Oh. Right. And it's overpowering. It's like if somebody took essential oil and squirted it right up your nose. It's not mm. a faint essence floating around the room. It's right. an intentional, like here, in-your-face odor. Um, Why don't we get signature to the of some sort. Why don't we get to the clips and play some of them and you can explain what's going on here. Uh, John, could you start with clip 11? Will you help us? Okay. And just so you know, the shorter ones, I'll probably play a couple. I'll play two times uh, just because we've heard them, but the listeners haven't. So, so I think there's one that's like about three minutes long. But other than that, I'll play them all twice. Okay. Just so everybody has a chance, especially the quick ones, if they'll just yeah. fly right by. So, all right. So, clip eleven, and we'll start there. And again. Pretty clear. Can you explain that one, Susan? I mean, that's, that's creepy. Yeah. Oh, I don't think it's creepy. I like her. I like her very much. <laughs> I don't know. That's her name, and I said, person. "Until you get." Hmm? You're a courageous person. <laughs> if I had my room, I would freak out. But she I'd is, never go back. She is somebody who. Is she was like saying, a, "Will you help us? You sure can." Strange, uh, strange accent. You sure can. Can you help us? Yeah, this and is no, I like her. I, I, call, I said, I'll call, I'll call you Nova until you tell me what your name is. And then and the then next day she name. told me her name, and you have that clip. Clip, right. clip two, John. And I wonder if the listeners can understand that. Uh, it sounds like she's saying Nicole. Yes, her name is Nicole. So um, I don't, I don't know what her story is, and I, I told her I'd certainly we're very willing to help her, but I also don't want, to, I don't trust the situation with this dark entity around. Yeah. And I don't want to trap. Yeah. I don't want to be like luring, getting lured into a situation. Mm -hmm. I was going to go out of body to try to help her, but I thought, you know, this might be a setup. I better be careful. And so I, I told her, you know, that uh, unless I get some more information, I can't just. Um, you know, pop out a body right. and go after and to help her because I don't trust, you know, maybe right. he's using her as bait. Um, I don't want to sound paranoid, but I don't want to be reckless. No. And, uh, you know, the price is too high. Um, and there's and, another uh, one as well, uh, Chino, uh, who's also Chino. asking for help. Uh, clip uh, he, he wanted to defend me. He would, yeah, I have one clip where he's saying, leave her alone, leave her alone. Ah, okay. And then he now, asks, uh, Help me. Yeah. Uh, why don't you start with that one, clip nine, leave her alone, uh, John.
Okay, that's it. Yeah. So what's Chino's story? Do you know? Well, I don't know if I the leave her alone. I think he's trying to protect me, but he might be trying to protect Nicole. Mm-hmm. When he says he help me, maybe he's asking other beings to help him protect whoever he's protecting. Could be me. Mm-hmm. It could, could be Nicole. Um, or so, it could but be both. Or it could be both, and I I uh, really respect his courage, and I I talk to him sometimes, but I have not gotten any further with him, mm. and uh, I haven't picked them up at all since the clearance ceremony on Easter. Um, mm. But I told them to wait outside in the gardens because I was going to do a clearance ceremony, and I didn't want them to be affected by it because it was very forceful, the whole ceremony. Now, and, did it get rid of Bozo? <laughs> Only for a few days, and he he came back and he's really pissed off, yeah. and he's been saying, "I hate you, I hate you," ever since then. Yeah, we'll now get... he he says, "I hate you" all the time. Well, yeah, we got wanna, that. Do you want to throw clip? Go ahead and hit clip, clip. eight real quick, just yeah, to. Clip I think eight. that was a, it, it's a it, yeah, it's a short one, and yeah, I'll let you know. Okay. It's it's uh probably about thirty seconds, but uh, it's uh, Achino helped me, and okay. I think it's a little clearer. So here we go. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Yeah, okay. I'll play that one more time. That one. Yeah. I Chino helped me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know what's so odd about these? They, why are they breathing? Bozo, when he talks with his minions, they start laughing about something snarky. And one time <laughs> he's laughing, in the middle of his laugh, he starts coughing like a, like a, you know somebody who has respiratory irritation or cigarettes or something during a mid-laugh would start coughing because it would trigger it. And he started doing that. And Is that something new? Pardon me? Is that something new? No, uh, no, it's just part of his breathing. I mean, how do how do they? Why are they breathing? <laughs> why are they coughing? Why are they breathing? <laughs> That's so physical. They bang things around. They're banging things around on their side, not on my side. I don't hear that. He did bang around when he first arrived. He banged in the attic on the side, and I said, uh, you know. John, do you know corny. which one? John, do you know which clip where he's doing the banging around? That's okay. That that's oh, his that's, temper tantrum. Yep, yeah, that's the long one. So this this one's about this one's a little over three minutes. So okay, so, uh, that's clip clip seven. Uh, yeah, this is strange. Right, so <laughs> here we go. They're all strange. Yeah.
That's it. Wow. Now, Susan, can you hear any of that, uh, or is it, or just on the record? Is it just come on the recordings? I can hear parts of it, and sometimes I hear him very clearly. He's just like the voices in the room. Yeah. Um, and and some of those I hate Jews were came from Beavis or Butthead. I could, I recognize <laughs> their individual voices now, and okay. they always you know they're always like joining him and whatever he's saying. Um, you can tell it's Beavis or Butthead because they always start out saying, hey, I hate you. They always use, hey, 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 hide. <laughs> I can even go, hey, hide, before I come into the room. It's like, hide, you're invisible. I mean, hide. <laughs> um, you know, and we, uh, Greg's daughter, my stepdaughter, she came in December to, to visit, and I, we let them have our bedroom. We slept out in the, uh, in the sunroom, and... Uh, and she she doesn't get involved in any of that stuff. But she woke up in the morning and she was laying there quietly, and a voice right beside her said, "Who's that in the bed?" <laughs> <laughs> so they don't bother Greg. They don't bother anybody else. And I'm not, you know, I'm like, if you hate me, then just leave. It's, look, I said, there's this place in Pennsylvania Avenue in D.C. You can go. <laughs> you know, just go go someplace else where you're. It's more suitable for you. This is not the right mm -hmm. environment for you. If you hate me, then leave, because I, I, I don't want you here. You don't want to be here. I, I'm not hostile towards him, but I'm indifferent, and it, it drives him crazy. But you did something once to kind of entice him. Uh, you, uh, you, you took off your clothes in the bedroom, and that, uh, what were you doing there? <laughs> what were well, you doing? He, he's very vulgar, and so I started changing in another room where I knew he couldn't see me, and I, you know, part of me is like, this is my house. Why am I being so careful? And I, right before the clearance ceremony, I wanted to rattle him um, and uh, throw him off balance for the clearance ceremony. And and so I took my shower and I went in the bedroom and did what I usually would normally do: take off my robe, put lotion on my legs, and get changed. And I did it on purpose. 
and I was recording, and you have that recording where he's going, yes, yes, oh, yes. Yeah, that's then I clip took six. that recording to shame him. I told him I'm an 80-year-old grandmother, even though I'm only 62. I said, <laughs> he doesn't know. I said, look, I'm an 80-year-old grandmother. You got this thing for grandmas? Did you dance around in your grandma's <laughs> panties when you were a boy? You know, I wanted to humiliate him and, and put him below the level of his minions by humiliating him, and that's why he hates me so much now. Mm-hmm. Because I did. It really threw him off balance because it's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, to um, um, openly disrespect him and humiliate him in front of right. his little minions that he pushes around. Sometimes he's abusing them, too. Um, he's always telling them to shut up. And you could tell when he's, like, hitting them and they're all upset. And the two minions, um, Beavis and Butthead. So, so I did that intentionally. Do we want to play? Um, because... Uh, Play clip six real quick before yeah. we get away from yeah. that. All right. And I think it'll yeah. it'll be around a minute uh, thereabouts. So here we go. Okay. I couldn't hear much of that one. Yeah, it was harder to hear, and it's very clear if you hear it directly on the computer. He's saying yes, oh yeah, yes, yes, yes. At the right tape. Yesterday, yeah, no, yesterday, <clears throat> yesterday, that sounded a lot louder too. A lot clearer. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll see what I can do in the in the mix, but yeah, that yeah, that definitely yeah. is much much. Uh, it's not as He's certainly uh, the. It's not as bombastic as the other ones, for sure. It's more, mm-hmm. it's more, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. What's this but one, Susan? You know, what's, I'm usually not that mean, but I was mean on purpose. Yeah, and and so he's saying yes. Oh yes, he's uh, excited about seeing you. Yeah, which really <laughs> makes me sick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, he's a bully, and so he, I bullied him back. He sees me as something sweet. He's always saying, she tastes so sweet. He stand behind me and inhale and go, she tastes so sweet. It's like, you pig, get away from me. I'm not, uh, you want to see the other side of me? And that's why I gave him a little bit of salt for a change yeah. to, in, to uh, intimidate him. What's bully this him one? back. Yeah. What's this one where it called She Doesn't Know? Yeah, he said that to one of the minions one time. She doesn't know who I am. And at first I thought, am I supposed to know? And I thought he was this, maybe this entity I met out of body one time that I didn't like. I called Bluto. I just walked away from And he came to the house a couple of times during out of body, and I escorted him out. He was just <laughs> a human, just a kind of a dark entity, but he never did anything directly to me. I just didn't like his energy. Mm. And he would always leave when I told him to leave. Um, but, but, it, but this one is far too animalistic. He's definitely demonic. Yeah. Can you play but that? He's vulnerable too. I mean, he's obviously, you know, has rants and emotional outbursts and has health problems. He said that one you have where he says, I feel like shit. How does an entity feel like shit? You have that. <laughs> right. I know. Hey, and... That was just last week. Yeah. Which one is that? Uh, let's see. Um, so it's, it's very strange because he expresses like the physical qualities. Okay, so I'll, so I'll play uh, clip three. Uh, I'll play clip three uh, twice, and then uh, 
clip five twice. So okay. I'll let you know when we're yeah when okay we're, yeah. when we come out. Here we go. Uh, clip three. Uh, she doesn't know. Five is Bozo saying, I feel like shit. Okay. That was very clear. Yeah, that was. Uh, that's, yeah, you're right. That's an odd thing for an entity to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having a bad day. <laughs> Well, and we could go ahead and play clip one, too, because that one. Yeah, let's do eating. All right, here we go. Oh, yeah, I asked him. Here we go. Who made you? And again. Who made you? Yeah, that's uh, light. But you, you, so that, the beginning part, Susan saying, who made you? And then you can just hear the being saying, eat me. Yeah, this, I, I, I'm not dealing with a high intelligence. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. This is whole. This has really changed your life now. Uh, well, temporarily. I mean, it's temporarily. You right. have to be patient. The thing is, I've learned a lot from this, and mm -hmm. I'm learning. If I'm going to be an independent soul, I have to learn how to deal with the bad on my own. I can't always be crying. Help me! Help me! Somebody help me! I've got to learn to deal with this, and I yeah. and I'm. I'm, I always find something to be gained from a situation. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm actually, you know, been very level-headed about this. And I've learned about shaman, shamanic ceremonies and other ceremonies and, um, you know, different methods one could use that I was totally unaware of before because I just don't really dabble in any of that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But, I, but I, it has opened me up to a, a few things, especially shamanism. I think I, yeah. I practice shamanism on a certain level without realizing it. That's um, a form of healing. Yes, when I'm spirit, out of body and I'm healing others. Of healing, yeah. You know, others that have been terminally ill for a long time, they're suffering. I'm taken to them out of body, and mm -hmm. I do, and I work on them to make them feel better. So, uh, so again, I, I'm using this as a a, a, a way to grow, and. Uh, you know, I'm getting a little sick of it, but I'm being patient. I'm being strong. I'm you not know. intimidated by it. He's, a, but I do miss my out of body work so much. Uh, I'm thinking about getting an air mattress I can put in my yard and do my out of body work in my gardens. <laughs> <laughs> I so don't he, think he, he would come in the gardens. The fairies would beat him up. <laughs> yeah. So he can only reach you through your opening there in the bedroom, basically. Does he uh, ever he's come go out down? into the front room? I'm in the sunroom okay. right now. Right. Uh, I actually closed the sliding doors. It's an air-conditioned sunroom, but I, there's sliding doors that partition it from the living room, and I closed it hoping that he can't hear me talking about him, yeah. because he can hear me. But he can't hear me in the back of the house, in the laundry room. Okay. And so he's limited. He can come out sometimes to the living room, but um, but that's about it. Um, 
And so, yet he feel like shit. <laughs> None of this yeah. makes sense, you know. Yeah, I'm really, I'm, you know, I'm continuing to record it because I might as well gather data. You know, I do yeah, want to understand right. more about, um, you have to understand that negative side in order to be able to cope with it. And I told him if he needed help, I've offered healing to him. But, you know, it's like offering Ted Bundy a hug. <laughs> it's it's not something that's really um, that really applies in this situation. Defiance is what applies. And uh, so, you know, it's definitely a, a tug of war right now. But I have my soul is strong and I have no intention of uh, surrendering any part of me to him. Um, he, he's very rude at night too. He likes to poke my body in very inappropriate ways. And, uh, so again, he acts like a, 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 a an obnoxious human. Mm-hmm. So I haven't, but, but he growls like an animal. You hear yeah, him growl. Does. You need some ghost Sometimes his growls too. are blood curdling growls. Are um, there any ghost busting groups in Sarasota? <laughs> No, I've searched them all, and I've sent them clips, and I even the TV programs, the Ghost Hunter programs, I sent clips on their Facebook page, you know, to my Google Drive. I sent the links to, and nobody has ever shown any it's interest to respond to I'm like, man, you've got the chance of a lifetime. I also have one of those uh, meters that detect uh, electromagnetic activity. Uh-huh. What are they yeah. called? EVP, the E, mm-hmm. EMD, what are those things? I forget. You know, where it has a needle and it detects uh, electromagnetic activity. And it registers nothing when he's right there, which is very strange. Uh, we have yeah. we have one more we have one more clip, I think clip ten, and speaking of him misbehaving, uh various I hate you clips from uh from four twelve. You wanna okay. grab that one real quick? Yeah. I think that'll um here we go. And it's about a minute, so Okay. I think I'm hoping that he'll just get tired of it and leave. Yeah, uh, well. And in the meantime, I'll continue to um, research areas of, uh, you know, resistance that I can use. I, I think I'll probably do the clearance ceremony again. It took a lot out of me, though. It, uh, for about two days, I was exhausted. Yeah. I wonder. I, I, went, if, I wonder, Susan, if exposure like this may help get rid of them. Maybe it'll yes, my, well, it's funny. You know what I did the other day? I had to, went in the room and I started talking to them. I said, tape recorder on, and I told them, just was curious. I wanted to see how they would respond. I told them they could be famous and asked them if they wanted to be famous because <laughs> their their existence is phenomenal, and it, people would go crazy to know that they really existed. And I said to Beavis and Butthead, they said, would you like to be famous? I didn't really mean it. I just wanted to see what uh-huh. their response was. And the and the minion said, yes, yes. I don't want to be famous. (laughs) (laughs) 
strange. Yeah, maybe the minions will leave him, and and then we can interact. I, I mean, they're snarky. Uh, I told them they have an abrasive charm about them, and that they would be really famous if they, um, you know, talk to uh, talk to the world. And uh, and uh, mm-hmm. they seemed I was appealing to their ego, and they have ego. Yeah. And that's that was a setup to to see how they would respond when I appealed to their ego. Hmm. So um, they have all the human faults. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, so, but uh, just know. ignoring, just ignoring them completely, that doesn't seem to work, right? I mean, you still get. Well, that's how I get through my nights and stuff. I usually just ignore them and shoo them away, and you know, um, and if it's if it's really annoying for some reason, they can't bother me when I'm sleeping. It must have to do with my brainwave activity. But uh, you know that's when you're most vulnerable. But I've never been bothered. I mean, while, I, while I'm sleeping, I wake up to them in the room. Like the other night, I woke up from a deep sleep. My eyes just shot open because there was a, a viper hiss in the in the room. It was like as if there was some uh, enormous cobra uh, at the bedside. I mean, it was a huge growly hiss. Um, it, it was coming from him, and I just yeah. so what I do when he does that makes a lot of noise. I have headphones that I put on. That it's a band that goes around the head. You could sleep in them; they're very comfortable. And mm-hmm. I play like the uh, Benedictine monk chant CD. I just loop it on my iPod, yeah. and I just have that softly playing in my ear all night, and it drowns him out. So I ignore mm-hmm. him that way because he'll yell in my ear. He'll say boo, or growl, <laughs> or breathe real heavy in my ear. And uh, I hate that. So I got yeah. these earphones, and it works great. And if so, he really gets obnoxious, I put on the, uh, an audio book, which he doesn't like. I, uh, he ran the Course in Miracles this week audio book, <laughs> Alexa, and he said, I don't like that book. And so I put on uh, uh, a Joe Dispenza book about you know, how, to, to, uh, how to change the way you behave or something uh-huh. like that. Right. Yeah. And I'm hoping that they can at least get glean something from those books that might inspire them to spiritually grow yeah. instead of just being in this dark place all the time. Oh. So, you know, I'll put on something like that on Alexa if they're really carrying on. It's like, fine, you can listen to this if I have to listen yeah. to you. Well, so. hey, just just a, one other quick question going back to the uh, that long rant uh, clip we played. Uh, so yeah. those percussive noises, I mean, where it sounds like someone, you know, like banging on a table or something, <clears throat> you don't hear that. It, I mean, That's it's not, it's side. not like, it's not he's, like a physical, it's not, he's not interacting no, only with the once, physical world. He, when he first arrived, he banged and banged on the side of the house and then in the attic, it sounds like elephants stomping on the roof of the house. And I was just like, really? Uh, don't be so cliche. <laughs> and that's when he, he started banging around in his own environment because I don't, you know, I just kind of rolled my eyes over that. And um, and he hasn't banged since then. Every now and then when they come in, they come in forcefully and makes the wood pop on, like, my dresser or something, but nothing violent, nothing, oh, no. all that is on his side. He's having a temper tantrum, throwing stuff around, and that flapping sound, that brrrr, mm-hmm. that happens too all the time with them. And the and the clicks and the croaks, but that flapping sound like a fish flapping violently out of the water. Yeah, right. That that comes with them. I don't know what it is, but it's consistent. Yeah, that is a strange. And the chirps story. are consistent. The chirps, it's a little thing like a little bird that's with them, right. and it sits beside my pillow sometimes and chirps out loud in the room, and I think it's sweet and I like it. 
Mm. You know, it's just I got a really active household. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it. Susan, we're going to have to follow up with another uh, episode. Sure. uh, Oh yeah, there'll be plenty of beyond this, and uh, I'll have plenty of material. I mean, we just scratched the surface today. It's very hard to cram it all in an hour. I didn't really get into the physics of all this, and. And, yeah. um, you know, it's really just opening, uh, I'm opening up to the other worlds. I'm, I'm moving mm-hmm. through the subatomic world and, and as they do. And, um, and that's, that's another story. So anyway, yeah. this has been really fun. Yeah, it's been kind great. Of gone great. by quickly. And Greg, thank you for coming on also for both of you. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. This was yeah. fascinating. Yes. Yeah. No. I can't wait to listen to it. Thanks. Keep guys. doing more clips. <laughs> as weird as uh, they are. I might as well. I mean, I'm all for collecting data. That's why I write everything down and I record yeah. things because it'll be useful one day. I mean, yeah. Yeah, um, I might just pass the torch to somebody else, but at least they'll have all this information. Mm-hmm. And you have your ongoing book, but the book might be changing a little bit with this uh, dark side. Well, uh, that's definitely a chapter. But, you yeah. know, I'm towards the end. Uh, I have uh, enough. I've gotten down to that point anyway, where I'm discussing the dark beans, but I've got the problem with the book is I have too much material. It's overwhelming. And it's like picking and choosing and how do I, I'm not a writer and that's also a challenge, but I'm getting, I I have gotten away from it because he was, he was, you know, really disrupting my sleep. I was tired all the time. And, um, and so I'm, I've just decided, well, I'm going to get back to it. Yeah, I'm just, just going to put him on the back burner. You've got to get the material down and uh, we can work with you, you know, and uh, yes. so that'll be good. Yes. I, right, I, the, the break has been good for me, but I'm ready to get back to it. Okay. Thank you so much, Rob well, and Trish. This is great. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll be talking again soon, fun. I'm sure. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye now. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Listen to the podcast at www.themysticalunderground.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Visit the blog, blog blog.synchrosecrets.com. Visit the book site, phenomena111.com. Send us email, podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Okay, we just lost the mic there. Is that on our end or your end? No, that's on our end. It's Trisha. I'm blaming Nigel because he bounced a ball. (laughs) 